Hello, everyone. We welcome you to our Sunday table discussion. So glad you could join us. We're re we are recording today from the Plainfield Christian Science Church Independent, Plainfield, New Jersey, the United States of America. And thank you. Start today with the. Did I? Go ahead, Florence. Okay. I'm reading from Philippians, uh, Paul's epistle to the Philippians, and unity of good, ABK. Philippians 2. If there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy, ye be like-minded, having the same love being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind let each esteem other better than themselves. Let not, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. True man, really saved, is ready to testify of God in the infinite penetration of truth and can affirm that the mind which is good or God has no knowledge and Mary Bicardi. Thank you. <clears throat> Our subject is mine today, and um, we will do the watching point now. Okay. Watch number 79. Watch lest you accept one of the four suggestions which handled the five foolish virgins. One, that man's spiritual light was once lit, but now it's gone out. Two, that it is possible for it to ever go out. Three, that man's supply of spiritual oil that comes from infinite mind can be limited. Four, that it is possible to enter into a permanent consciousness of the Christ as the true selfhood of man through the light that is borrowed from another. In reality, the five foolish versions had unlimited spiritual oil given them by God, since it must have been mesmerism that deceived them into believing that it was limited. The solution to their problem certainly was not to borrow oil, since God's demand is that each one gain for himself the recognition of where the oil comes from. Error can never rob anyone of his spiritual understanding. It can only suggest that he has lost it or that it has given out. Before mortal man will lose his mortality, he must learn to protect himself and stand guard against such a false belief. End quote. Thank you. <clears throat> Any comments on that? If we stay... <clears throat> if we stay in the mind of Christ, we prevent a whole lot. <laughs> yeah. And that's a, that is a big if. Okay. Yeah. And it requires work, doesn't it? Sure. I mean, it's not the kind of thing that you, once you get there, you can sit back and relax and retire. Right? <laughs> Never. <laughs> Because as long as we're here, we're still growing. And we need to recognize that we have more growth to do in order to continue staying in the mind of Christ. It's not like we're going to reach some plateau while we're here on Earth. Susetti says that um, also she says that to don't allow the belief of lack 
to stay with you for a moment. So that goes with inspiration or understanding or intelligence or health. Yeah, health. Yes, it's all that. If we, it's a, it's a disobedience and a denial of God's allness to think that we can lack anything for a moment or don't have what we need. Whenever it is that we are facing, we've got everything we need every moment. Thank you. And a lazy thought is disobedient, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, in in what was written on the forum from a stamp and moss, I guess, um, about the virgins, the ten virgins, it states, the remedy, therefore, does not lie in believing that they are the source of the light and inspiration, and that their negligence can consequently affect the issue. Now, I agree with that first part. Very, very important that we understand where the light and inspiration come from. But the second part, while we're on this earth, negligence can affect the issue. Does it not? Yes. Yes. So that bothers me. I would like to refer to one of my favorite chapters in miscellaneous writings, Fidelity, what Mrs. Eddy says about the ten virgins, and she is very, very clear on this. The parable of the ten virgins serves to illustrate the evil of inaction and delay. This parable is drawn from the sad history of Esther, a little girl of eight years who takes the most solemn vow of celibacy for 30 years and is subject to terrible torture if the lamp she tends is replenished with oil day and night, so that the flame never expires. The moral of the parable is pointed and the diction purely oriental. We learn from this parable that neither the cares of this world nor the so-called pleasures or pains of material sense are adequate to plead for the neglect of spiritual light that must be tended to keep aglow the flame of devotion, whereby to enter into the joy of divine science. The foolish virgins had no oil in their lamps. Their way was material. Thus they were in doubt and darkness. They heeded not their sloth. Sloth, okay? Negligence. Their fading warmth of action. Hence, the steady decline of spiritual light Until the midnight gloom upon them, they must borrow the better-tended lamps of the faithful. By entering the guest chamber of truth and beholding the bridal of life and love, they would be wedded to a higher understanding of God. Each moment's fair expectancy was to behold the bridegroom, the one altogether lovely. It was midnight. Darkness profound brooded over earth's lazy sleepers, with no oil in their lamps, no spiritual illumination to look upon him whom they had pierced, heard the shout, The bridegroom cometh. But how could they behold him? Hear that human cry, O oh, lend us your oil, our lamps have gone out, no light, earth's fables flee, and heaven is far off. The door is shut. The wise virgins had no oil to spare, and they said to the foolish, Go to them that sell and buy for yourselves. Seek truth and pursue it. It should cost you something. You're willing to pay for error and receive nothing in return. But if you pay the price of truth, you shall receive all. The children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. They watch the market, acquaint themselves with the etiquette of the exchange, and are ready for the next move. How much more should we be faithful over the few things of spirit that are able to make us wise unto salvation? Let us watch and pray that we enter not into the temptation of ease in sin, and let us not forget that others before us have laid upon the altar we have to sacrifice and have passed to their reward. 
And then, my favorite, too soon we cannot turn from disease in the body to find disease in the mortal mind and its cure in working for God. Thought must be made better and human life more fruitful for the divine energy to move it onward and upward. That's Mrs. Eddy. It goes on, but there is a penalty if we delay and we're inact- inactive in this. We can, we can, Mrs. Eddy says in Science and Health, you can annul that penalty once you've changed your course and do right. But and we, she also says, be so instant in truth that what? Erin doesn't catch up with you. <laughs> but there's a requirement that we be instant in truth. And that is what it means to work for God. I looked at that word consecration. It says devoted to God and to divine service but it doesn't necessarily make you holy. And I mean, that's true. We see people who do a lot of deeds and work and work and work, but to be really holy is the first part of that stamp and moss that you're acknowledging God is the source. You're not the source of anything. God is the source, getting yourself out of the way and letting God use you. That is paramount. But then it is up to us to, yes, be consecrated, to, to do this work daily, often, we can't let our lights or, or our oil grow low. And it's really an impossibility to try to give to someone else what you have earned. Um, Harriet sent me some really good articles again this week, and um, which I'm going to incorporate in this discussion. But one that I really loved... <laughs> Very, very good by a Louise Knight Wheatley cook. When the south wind blows softly. And Carol, if we don't have it in the magazine, we should. Okay, thank you. That quote, when the south wind blows softly, because I wasn't aware of it, but I recalled it to mind. But it's when Paul, you know, Paul was, they were prisoners and were being carried to Rome on a on a boat. And um, things began to get, very pleasant. False for disaster in the course. But the nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and owner of the ship that the, the south winds were blowing softly. So they all relaxed. And guess what happened? Storm hit. Storm <laughs> A temptuous wind followed by high seas and a shipwreck. But she goes on to bring out the point that this is what puts people to sleep. When things get the least bit better, there's a tendency to slow down. What is the midnight hour cry for help? What is that? When mortal mind, when mortal mind is suggesting whatever whatever lies it would try to present to us. It's when you've hit rock bottom and you're and you're desperate and you cry out. Yeah. No one wants to come to that midnight hour. That's what these virgins were, right? And the door the door was shut, wasn't it? Yeah. And in that story of that ten virgins, the last paragraph says Watch therefore, for ye know neither the day nor the hour when wherein the Son of Man cometh. That's why, and and I'm doing this to rouse thought. And if it's making people uncomfortable, good. I want you to feel uncomfortable. We all need comfortable. (laughs) We're not somewhat uncomfortable. We probably are asleep. We're thinking of those south winds are blowing softly. I mean, we're in tumultuous times right now, and there's no room for anyone to slow down or get involved with the things of the world. How long have we had Christian science? A long time, folks. 1866, 
Yeah. When did she write? Yeah. Over a hundred years. And here we are. Now I'm going to read from this article, Louise Knight Wheatley Cook, When the South Wind Blows Softly Again. She's talking about consecration. Not the work of a moment, be acquired suddenly, just as we begin to need it. It cannot be passed from hand to hand, borrowed, begged, stolen, bought, sold, or bartered for in the marketplace. Consecration means daily, hourly, constant, unceasing, unswerving, tireless devotion to one supreme endeavor. It means singleness of purpose, unremitting toil, self-abnegation, purity of motive, patience, perseverance. Above all, it means that love which never faileth, however great the provocation. It means a continual put, putting off of the old sense of man with his deeds and a continual putting on of the new man. It means quietness and compassion and forgiveness. It means struggling to overcome discouragement and disappointment and disillusionment through days seeming endless and nights without a star. Precious indeed is this oil, which our textbook further defines as charity, gentleness, prayer, heavenly inspiration. Yet during the process of acquiring these gifts, peace unspeakable accompanies the effort. What joyous glimpses are gained of heaven reality, of heavenly reality, and how one comes forth more kind, more truly tender and compassionate, nearer to the attainment of that which Solomon asked for, the understanding heart. In an instant, the weary wayfarer recognizes it and is irresistibly it for comfort and healing. Can any price be too great to pay for this oil? And yet, impudent mortal mind rubbing its sleepy eye says, just lend me a little. The thing cannot be done. It would be as if one should say to some experienced and daring aviator, I should like to handle a plane as you do, and I have an hour or so this morning which I can spare. Suppose you give me some of your skill or let me buy it. An aviator may take a passenger to the, to the haven where he desires to be, but he cannot give, lend, or sell his skill. Born of his devotion of time, and thought to one achievement. In like manner, while one may be helped and comforted and healed through the consecrated effort of another, and may arrive at the haven where he would be, surcease from pain and sorrow. But if he wishes to know how to demonstrate the truth for himself and have the joy of doing it, he himself must work. If he would enter into the marriage feast of love's abiding presence, he must gain the understanding of the vital truth of being for him and not depend on another's effort, however lovingly and cheerfully given. A student desiring growth in the knowledge of truth can and will obtain it by taking up his cross and following truth. If he does not do this and another one undertakes to carry his burden and do his work, the duty will not be accomplished. No one can save himself without God's help, and God will help each man who performs his own part. That has to be made so because this is this is the I call it the Boston sense of science that oh we'll just wave our hands and everything will be great. If we have to take up the cross and demonstrate this. This is the difference between our church and many others. And if you don't like that difference, you don't have to be around here. But I know that this is the true science. Oh, because it works. And nothing else does. I've tried these. Nothing else. Is. <laughs> so, any comments? I would, I would just like to add <clears throat> that if one who does understand the truth and, and is 
and is inspired stoops to try to, to lend their oil to somebody else, they damn not only the person who is seeking to steal your oil, but you damn yourself because you are taking on a personal sense of responsibility for that person instead of turning them wholeheartedly to in personal relationships, in family relationships, it's very tempting to try to overlook errors and hold somebody up who needs to work on their own. And, it, and animal magnetism comes to us through our nearest and dearest. It doesn't come to us through strangers. It comes to us through our human family, our workers at work, it comes to us through those who are close to us, and it tempts us to have a personal sense of responsibility. I hope everybody sees this and understands it and is um, alert to it, because it's going it, to try. Yeah, that was one thing Rich Carey used to always say. Animal magnetism likes to come through your nearest and dearest. And it would be a personal sense, a false sense of responsibility. But everyone, we don't go into the kingdom of heaven in pairs. We go one by one. And everyone needs those trials and experiences to learn. I know for myself, I, I sure didn't like them. You know, when you go through them, you don't like them. It's worth it, right, Florence? Absolutely. I was thinking myself the other day, you know, what, what I've been through. But... Uh, it's worth every every moment, yes. And and it's not that we're saying that we've arrived. <laughs> no one arrives while we're on this earth. We still are working on all of these things. I know I am. But yeah. it's well, that's what I said the other day. I mean, people feel like, okay, it doesn't come to practitioners or something. Oh, yes, it does. Um, mm -hmm. But again, you know, it's working. It, it's Especially, we know better, right? I mean, we've been told or through the books, uh, we understand better the Bible and all this. So it, much is demanded of us then, those it who are is. learning. Yes, we have been given this science. You know, I read once before what was required before Christ Jesus came was different than after. After Christ Jesus came and only taught us, well, that is true of science that we've gotten. I mean, we have a responsibility here. And it, it, it's got to be done. Um, there was a, a beautiful article, Carrie said, it was very beautiful um, about the one man saved the city. And, and it, it was by William McCracken, whom I love. But he was saying that the work of the scientists goes on unnoticed most of the time. All the prayer that on, you know all the prayer that we pour forth um, in our watches in unity and individually. Now what if that prayer wasn't going on? I mean, things can seem bad now, but think how they might be. <laughs> I mean, mm -hmm. yeah. And he said, so all of us that have been working, all of us here, we'll never, you know, no one will ever know our names. But that doesn't matter. What matters, I like what Florence says. Sometimes she'll talk about a patient. She says, she's doing it or she, she's working it. <laughs> I mean, if you're doing it, you've got to be working it. You know, then you're okay. But if you're not sitting idly back or depending too much on someone else, that's, it's not a safe place to be. And you will be one of those virgins, the foolish ones, crying out at the midnight hour. And that's not a good place to be. And sometimes you won't learn it on this planet. You'll learn it somewhere else. So keep your oil soaked, the beautiful definition that he gives us of oil. And, and another article talked about how it was important to be expressing charity and gentleness and how that would help save the world. 
And that's very true, and that we can all in our individual places express that charity and gentleness. She skips over the consecration part, however. <laughs> and and so, to me, in, unless you've truly been consecrated in the work, you don't have the charity and gentleness that you gain when you are consecrated and you surmount problems. It gives you a deeper sense of understanding and clarity. And as this lesson is about, wisdom that you wouldn't ordinarily have. And why? And why is that? Why is wisdom required in charity? What was the last part of what you said? Why is wisdom what? But why is wisdom required in gentleness and in charity? To know yeah, where everybody... charity is. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. Um, to know where the charity is really uh, needed or received. I mean, there are a lot of people that just like to just give because it makes them feel better. But we have to pray to know that we're that God will lead us to where charity is um, is really to be shared, or um, you know what we're supposed to. So that's how I. That's, that's exactly. That's exactly right. Jesus said, don't cast your pearls before what? Swine. Yeah, before swine. Before a... Um, Receptive Yeah, before a... Re don't cast it before a rebellious and disobedient thought. You, 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 are, you are gentle and, and charitable for those who are receptive to it but not otherwise. Otherwise, you're going to be nice to error and you're going to enable error and you're going to do more harm than good. And that is the difference between human so-called goodness and divine goodness. Well, if, if God, the source, the source, the all wisdom, all knowing is guiding you, then he guides you or reveals to you your right place to be good. He tells exactly. you what to do. What to be good to. Yes. And that's the right time to do it. It's mm -hmm. got God's time when the other person is receptive. Yeah. 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 And, uh, I like the what of uh, exactly what you said and how Mrs. Singletary said, ride the wave, explain that because it's beautiful and it really helps. <laughs> well, it was actually it was from, I think, a Peter V. Ross article, but yes, sometimes you just have to ride it out when things are happening. Um, you, you can't force it, you can't push it, you, now when you're out in the ocean and a wave comes, you have to ride it in. If you try to fight against it, it doesn't work. So it's true in our human experiences. Sometimes we have to ride the wave, let things play out in God's way. Wait on him. Lean not unto thine own understanding in all thy ways. Acknowledge. Yes. And he will direct thy path, as is also in the lesson. So, is that, did you, what you meant, Shardy? Yes, yes. And it's really very simple and very clear that what, like what Carol said, you know, it's God's time and we must abide by that. I think yeah, that's way it comes and you can't write it after it's come. You got to wait and write it in when it's <laughs> Yeah, and what does Mrs. Eddie say about the disobedient? They're either too. Too early or too late? Yes. <laughs> or half. The right time yeah. at the wrong time is the wrong thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yes. So all this, all this requires wisdom. And it is true in the Bible. It says, you know, if you need wisdom, to ask God for it and he will give it. But then, you know, we have to be receptive to it and worthy of it and, and work with it. Um which is equally very, very important. 
So go ahead. No, I was thinking of some of the things that come that gets us to react to them. In reaction, every time it means that we are believing in the lie as the yeah. truth. And and um, I think it ties in with what you're saying about riding the wave. Sometimes it's there's one thing that keeps at us, and it always gets a reaction, therefore meaning we still believe in it. And um, it has to be clear that nothing is true but good, the truth, God. And he gives us the wisdom to discern. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's, it's important to see what you react to, what your comments are, you know, to, to discern how fearful you are, what you in to be yeah. true. It's a mesmeric suggestion. And and then nail it, kill it. Not of God, you don't have to have it or believe in it. So another article was a one called The Ten Virgins by Adela LePage. And it's interesting, too, because she makes the point about preparedness. Um, preparedness and the church manual is what it's called. And she refers to the three daily duties. She says, this is how Mrs. Eddy prepares us, isn't it? When you really go over the three daily duties each day, I don't think there's anything that Mrs. Eddy doesn't uncover. And it, it's it's tremendous. This is why we have them pretty well plastered all over the place. <laughs> so to remind them to be working those three daily duties. They're lifesavers. They're lifesavers. And they're not three daily options. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason. There's a reason. And and the other thing, I mean, you know, this this may sound a little harsher to, to some people, but God requires this of us. God requires it. This is not Mary or anybody else, you know requiring it of you. God requires it. And God never requires anything of us that isn't good for us. And that we're not oh. capable of doing. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember the state, what it said is, while we're in darkness, we're not progressing. If we can keep us, the duties, stay above the darkness, we are have dominion and we are helping and healing. So, you know, those daily duties, they it's like <laughs> keeping us up so that we don't slip in and be useless. Yeah. Or worse than useless. <laughs> I mean, I can't tell you how much I work with that. It shall be the duty of every member of this church to defend himself daily against aggressive mental suggestion. So you're not made to forget or neglect your duty to God, your leader, and to mankind. Because these aggressive mental suggestions are compounding at you. What do, what do you think they are? They're to make you to forget and neglect your duty to God, your leader, and to mankind. If you can impersonalize it and see it that way, you'll have dominion over it. But if you see it, oh my gosh, you know, I've lost my job, or I'm feeling sick, or this or that, you're going to go right down with it. You you no, you rise up and say the hell you say, I got work to do today. Get thee behind me, Satan. So they're powerful, the daily duties. Powerful. And they must be worked with, not only in the morning, but throughout the day. And then she warns us of personal attachment, which is a big bigaboo, or animosity, which is also a big So they're powerful and they're they're prepared. Yes, they prepare you so you're not virgin without the oil. And I, I've given spoken before and given a testimony where to give of our light, but not of our oil. And what's the difference? Well, if you give your oil, you're going <clears> to <throat> lose your. It's going to take from your strength and, and what you need. 
and giving the light is more like an, an encouragement and showing people what what you this is science is capable of but I know when I gave my oil then I <clears throat> both of us lost out to give of your light is to be a Christ-like example and to never fall into the temptation to get down in the mud and rest there yeah. but to lift as Jesus said if I be lifted up shall draw all men unto me. Be so lifted up that you are an example to everyone around you. If you try to give of your oil, you are literally trying to live someone else's life for them. And that is a sin. And, and you, you'll feel it. You begin to feel depleted and exhausted. That's because you've been giving of your oil. You've got to stop. I mean, I, I have to examine myself regularly, too. We all do. Just give of your light, your joy, your your love, your light. You just let your light shine. But oil is something different. And, and to oil, go back. Sorry. Yes. No, go oil ahead. Something, you, something that you earned, that you yes. that you have made the effort, learned the lessons, and, and achieved. And, and you're just taking away that person's opportunity to do the same. Mm -hmm. That's exactly right. You don't inherit the oil of spiritual you know, strength. If you, you, you can't inherit it, and nobody can inherit it from you. you. You earn it by working for it. No other way. That's why work is such a good thing. That's why people who are so proud of being a third or fourth generation Christian scientist are in danger because they're proud of the wrong thing. Somebody else's work. Yeah, it shouldn't even come into the discussion. I mean, who, who, who sometimes I think, who talks like this? This is a strange thing. I've heard people from the get go, I'm a third or fourth generation Christian scientist, as if that's supposed to mean something to me. You know what? What? Okay. Well, one of my ancestors was named was Jesse. So does that mean anything to you? I don't know. It just silly to me. So, so do. it's what you what you have you have earned. So, and to go back to what Craig was saying about the darkness, that's in the lesson too. Who is among you that feareth the Lord, that obeyeth the voice of his servant, that walketh in darkness and hath no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord and stay upon his God. So this is what you do when you're feeling you're walking in that darkness. And Linda, you wrote to that. What did you say? Well, <clears throat> it was talking about staying, and staying means to remain, to continue in place, to wait, to attend, stand still dwell, confide, and trust. And uh, I just thought that was beautiful. And then the John Gill commentary said that when you're in this darkness, that your covenant keeps you going and that God is still your God and you lean on him and depend on him to protect and his wisdom to guide. I mean, when do you need it more than when you're in dark? And then his grace and goodness and supply you're leaning on that so I just thought that was very beautiful that idea of standing still and and being quiet and I love the hymn that says oh blessed is he to whom is given the instinct that can tell that God is on the field although he seems invisible and that's hymn 86 and I'm just so grateful to be here learning how to to be still especially in when you feel you're in the darkness and feeling God's presence or trusting it because you have built that oil knowing that he is there. And so, and that that's the truth too. If you find you're one of those foolish virgins, it is true what said it, that, that all that truth, light, that wisdom's available right now. And you can go to that. You can find that as a source to lift you up and out of this. But then it's got to be maintaining. It's got to be earned. So, but God's love and presence, yes, we never lack anything. And that's always a good thing to know. Absolutely that is. But negligence, slothfulness, 
those words. I don't care for them. It's very ungrateful. <clears throat> grateful. And that's what Mrs. Eddy says in the article, Fidelity. Think of those who went before you and what they sacrificed. You're just going to, you know, go on there. Hotels, yeah. I don't think so. No, you're not. Nobody is. And she says that over and over in Science and Health. And then also, I like what Louise wrote on the on the forum about the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And it's she says, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogancy, and the evil way and the forward mouth do I hate. Therefore, the beginning of wisdom is to hate evil, pride, arrogancy, the evil way, the forward mouth. Now, as Christian scientists, I, I know we always cringe, oh, we're not supposed to hate. Well, that's the one thing you can hate, and you shouldn't be lukewarm about it. I, I was reading about, um, well, Joseph and, and his how he was prepared for service and how he saved his brothers and everyone when that terrible drought came. But it said about him, and this was a Spurgeon article, that he did, he did hate evil. And this goes on to say, if you love this, you will hate iniquity. That's in Hebrews. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, even God, thy God, hath anointed thee with, guess what, the oil of gladness above thy fellows. You must be offended by an error because it's an offense to God. If you're not, that mean, probably means you're indulging in that error. So, and then this, which I love from We Knew Mary Baker Eddy, Volume 1. Someone said, but mother, are we not to discriminate between good and evil? She answers substantially as follows. Ah, now you have asked me what is what is to me the hardest thing in Christian science. Yes, you must see and denounce evil. The Bible tells us that Jesus was God's because he loved righteousness. But the Bible does not step, stop there. It says, and hated iniquity. So often I long to see and know only only the good, but I have not dared. I must uncover and rebuke and hate iniquity. This was a very valuable lesson to us all. To her, this is the greatest struggle of all, the hardest thing in science. But when one loves righteousness, one hates iniquity. I hope you all get that in your hearts. Because what I call the Boston like this, they don't want to. They uh, uh. This was what. This is what Mrs. Evans. How she was so different. I never saw anybody like that before. Amazing the way she rebuke an error. We all should be able. To. You have to. You can't be lukewarm. You understand this. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. So any now before I move on, I wanted to mention well, so much in this lesson, but that Colossians one, I've given it to many of you to work with for yourself. Love, it's perfect prayer. It asks it it asks God for all the right things. It doesn't ask that you have a bigger house or your son go to a certain college. It, it asks for the right things. Filled with the knowledge of his will, worthy of the Lord. Voice. Strengthened with all might. All the things that it. Um, Mary, you're breaking up a lot. We can't get a lot of what you're saying now. Uh oh. Well, someone was making a lot of noise, too. Is it done now? Can you hear that me now? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Someone making a lot of noise that I heard. Okay. The other thing I wanted to mention is clairvoyance. I love I love those pages in the chapter on spiritualism where Mrs. Eddy says that um, it is the prerogative. Prerogative means a special right or privilege 
of the ever-present divine mind and of thoughts which is in rapport, which means a close and harmonious relationship, feelings and ideas are communicated well. When you're in rapport with that mind, you will know the past, present, and future. And then she goes on to say that this mind reading is the opposite of clairvoyance. It is the illumination of the understanding which demonstrates the capacity of soul, not of material sense. This soul sense comes to the human mind when the latter yields to the divine mind. Now, the reason I say this is because we talked about this before too, but I knew of someone who was very proud, actually her friend was very proud of because she could seem to read the minds of everybody. Well, she she wasn't in the true sense of the word. It was a being a clairvoyant. Those are the, um, what are they, those mind readers, those tarot shop things and all that that goes on. <laughs> and in in the first edition, which she speaks to it very plainly, it starts on page 80 in the first edition. Clairvoyance is mind reading alone, whereas science is science in contradistinction to clairvoyance reveals truth through the understanding by which we gain the principle and explanation of phenomena. These are distinctly opposite standpoints whence to obtain information, and the right interpretation of cause and effect belongs alone to science. Clairvoyance reaches only the fancied realities of mortal minds, whereas science admits none of these things, but reveals truth outside of mortality and error. We can do good to our neighbor through the science of being, but through it we cannot do evil also. Clairvoyance can do evil, accuse wrongfully, and explain unscientifically. If we act from the standpoint of spiritual sense, we are right. But if from personal sense, we do evil continually. The sensuous may be clairvoyant, but cannot be scientific. And the scientific cannot be sensual. Foretelling events is to discern them spiritually outside of personal sense, which is prophecy, and accords with the ancient worthies, or through a belief which is clairvoyance or mind reading. So you see, there's a big difference. And this is why we don't dabble in any of these arts. We don't dabble in them at all. Because here she's saying you'll do evil continually. You'll make false judgments. You'll, you'll, you've got to be darn sure that it's the divine mind speaking to you. And that only comes, again, with consecration, work, prayer, effort. It doesn't just come. You have to be in rapport with the divine mind. It's a wonderful byproduct of doing this. And it does come. It will come. You will know things you don't know how in the world you know. But only to heal and bless. It's not nosy. It's not nosy at all. It just you for healing and blessing. Lawrence, you want to talk about Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> okay. Lawrence, was there anything you wanted to say before we end? No, well, it's, I think that's the message is given. God is our source. Mind is the source of everyone. And therefore, we keep our thinking correctly and have the Christ mind. It does not drift into evil. And so it will keep us safe. Thank you. And to go along with what I read on clairvoyance, I, I was looking for something about Mrs. Eddy where she could say she would enter the room and she could know the thoughts of everyone there. She said she didn't she didn't try to do it. It would just happen. I, I couldn't find that. I know it's somewhere. I think it's in Christian Heal, Healer. But anyway, but um, Jeremy found me something from The Healer by David Keaston about Mrs. Eddy, which we will now end on. This is from The Healer by David Keaston. Uh, Reverend Severin Simonson described his encounter with Mary Baker Eddy in 1902 in a wonderful word picture that brings forth the Christly character of this woman. It quotes, 
I was most singularly impressed with the purity and beauty of her countenance and her almost transparent face, so radiant with peace, joy, and love. But to me, the most striking attraction was her wonderful eyes, the like of which I have never seen in all my experience of contact with people. They expressed volumes. It is beyond my power to describe how they responded to and in various ways portrayed the sub-sacred subject she would at the moment be discussing. You realized that she reflected the Christ mind so fully that she discerned without effort your mental state. But it did not disturb you. The sense that came to you was her desire not to injure, but to help and save. The same as our master did when he discerned the thoughts of the people. Hence, your heart filled with gratitude for such a helping hand. There was almost a supernatural keenness to discern your innermost thoughts, but only for the purpose of helping, counseling, and guiding you into a higher understanding of your Heavenly Father, yea, to bring out a more perfect confidence in God as your ever-present help, and in your ability to do whatsoever God had for you to do. Her talk with us and the instructions she gave were beautifully illuminating, deeply comprehensive, and wonderfully helpful, never to be forgotten. Before it was my great privilege to be invited to visit her in her home, in her home and listen to her, I used to wonder how it was that her faithful followers were so eager to carry out her every wish and command. But after I met her personally, and came in contact with this great heart of love, it all became clear to me. I realized then that she manifested such Christ love, such unselfed love for God and all mankind, and it was so apparent that she was divinely directed in all her efforts, that she required of her followers only that which was for the glory of God, their own unfoldment in truth and love, and the good of mankind. It has been my privilege to meet and to listen to many of the foremost religious leaders of my time, both in this country and abroad, and I can truthfully say that in all my experience, I have never met or listened to anyone who, to my mind, reflected and manifested so fully the spirit and love of Christ as did Mrs. Eddy. I know of no words adequate to express fully my gratitude to God for this noble and wonderful woman who was good enough, pure enough, unselfish enough, and intelligent enough to receive this revelation of divine science and to record it in such a language as to make plain to the benighted understanding of mankind the way of God's full salvation through Christ. Thank you all for joining us. <clears throat> Thank, you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.